What's up, y'all? You ever, you ever uh, been uncomfortable before? You think about that, that situation that has just completely made you uncomfortable. Maybe it's, it was today where you were singing like words that were on a screen with a bunch of other people. Maybe that made you uncomfortable. Or maybe you're single and you got that blind date and you're sitting in front with, uh, or you're sitting across from that person and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait till this date is over. You know that one? I don't know if you can remember those times or those uncomfortable times where it's just like, you know what, this just doesn't feel real, real good. You know, I, my, for, for uh, my wife and I, some of our, one of our most uncomfortable times is when we were in northern India, and so we were, we were in northern India, we were on these overnight trains, and as you can see here, there's, there's one bed, two beds, three, and then there's four, five, six, seven, eight beds, and we're in northern India, and as you can tell, you've got uh, a few eyes staring at you in northern India. You can tell this, this lady is super happy that my wife is there right now. And so we're, we're there, and, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping on my briefcase that has brass buckles on it just so, so comfortably. And I open my eyes, and you see seven eyes, or what's seven times two, right? People have two eyes, so 14 eyes on you at the same time, and it's like 3 a.m., and you go, oh my goodness, you can see it, she's, she's even staring over here, and, and uh, it, was, it was pretty uncomfortable. Uh, and if that's not uncomfortable, this is definitely, the next picture is really uncomfortable. This is a true picture. You all know what that is? Somebody, I forgot, somebody said that they thought that was a foot massager uh, earlier. <laughs> And I was like, that ain't no foot massager, y'all. That is, you put your feet on here, and you squatty, and you go potty. That's what that is. And if that's not uncomfortable enough, you see that there's this hole, and while you're squatty and potty, and you're looking down this hole, and you know what you see? Train tracks. It's pretty un uncomfortable. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny story. It's a funny situation, but we're in this story of Elijah, and he's constantly constantly in these hard, uncomfortable situations. Last week, we talked about how Elijah was fighting against the status quo. He's always fighting against the status quo. And for the world to be livable, we've got to push against this thing called the, the status quo. See, Elijah's in an uncomfortable situation. We just saw that he, if you didn't see it, you can watch it uh, from last week. You can go to our website and, and watch it. But he's in this uncomfortable circumstance. He is a vigilante running away from the king. He's a man on the run. He's a vigilante. The king's not happy with him. He's in these uncomfortable circumstances. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. And this is just how God works sometimes. When we're just in discomfort, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying. It's in those uncomfortable situations sometimes that God actually says, Hey, listen to me. Like, come be with me. I'm gonna, my word is going to come to you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prayerfully comfort you a little bit. And then verse 9 says, he gives us some direction. God says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. See, in, in Hebrew literature, in, the, in Hebrew times, a widow, man, a widow, the, the word actually in Hebrew means desolate place. They were the poorest of poor. They didn't have anything to offer in their community. They had nothing to give. They had nothing to help 
provide for. And so, so literally Elijah's saying, you know what, okay, I guess I'm going to leave the wilderness and God providing for me with a bird. And now I'm going to go have a widow provide for me. So he leaves one thing, one place of uncomfort to go to another place of uncomfort, which brings us to our first point. Radical faith is uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good all the time. It's, it's difficult. Uh, you know, there, I, I, I was trying to think of some times I've been uncomfortable. And so I've lived in Johnson County now for 10 whopping days. I used to live over in Grandview. And let me tell you, you Johnson County folks, you all are weird. Straight up. Let me, let me tell you, it's like leave it to beaver over here. I'm serious. Like, it's like I met all my neighbors, and they're like, hey, hey, my name's Susie. What's your name? And then my kids are running in other people's houses, and other kids that I've never seen before are running through my house. And it's like the 50s. The people are like, it's like 10 o'clock, and there's like junior hires walking down the sidewalk. I'm like, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world, anywhere. And then I'm suspicious because people are too nice. You people are too nice. Listen, I, I lived in Grandview for the last four years. Listen, we don't wave to people. You don't wave to your neighbors. You know, I, I met my, uh, my neighbor Paul. It was probably, we lived there for two years before I met him. And I'm like, hey, the first two years, hey, Paul. And he looked right at me. Just drive. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even wave back at me. I got any Grandview folks in the house? Anybody? Nope, I don't. All right, fine. <laughs> See, nobody knows what I'm talking about except me. James, uh, James Adams lived in Grandview for a little while. He was hosting, and uh, he, he was my one soul that would usually give me a shout-out, but it's, uh, it's just us. Just me, I guess. Not us, it's just me. Uh, <clears throat> so anyways, uh, I started thinking of other situations, and we fostered uh, four kids through our home, and I, I remember these two little boys. It was so hard, so difficult, so uncomfortable. We had a two-year-old, and the reason why he got taken into care is because he had a black eye because the boyfriend of the white or the boyfriend of uh, the mom hit him in the face with a bottle. And see, you know, you feel sorry for them, but then they kick you, they spit on you, they punch you, they headbutt you. And I had this tiny little amazing 20-inch TV with a built-in DVD player, and he kicked it. You want to you know when you're really not like Jesus? That's the time. When you look at yourself and you're just like, I am not feeling real lovey-dovey about you right now. I don't like you. I actually remember sitting in my bathroom. I shut the door because those kids, I mean, they were, they were really crazy. Their parents uh, locked them in a car seat and put them in front of the TV for eight hours a day. And so when they got loose, man, they were, they were wild. They were wild in my home. And I remember they were so wild that I went into my bathroom and I locked the door and I just sat on the toilet with my clothes on, right? I mean, I just sat on there and was just like, oh gosh, I just need some solace. I didn't realize that they needed this incredible love, this incredible care, this incredible just love that needed to be shed on them. It was hard. Now, for some of us, it might be like uncomfort is going north of 119th. <laughs> See, I, it's not supposed to be a joke. That was, was not, that, that was like, I'm serious because I, 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 t I told this story uh, last service is, uh, I remember I was, I was the outreach director uh, before I was a campus pastor here and 
I remember our first, my first church-wide survey, I had somebody call, and they said, hey, 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 Justin, this isn't in my notes. This is just an extra story for you. Uh, so uh, they called, and they were like, hey, Justin, uh, man, where do, you want, where do you need me to go for church-wide survey? Like, where, where do you need me to go? And I was like, well, we've only got seven people at Freedom Fire, and it's on 18th and Vine. Like, it's in the hood, you know what I'm saying? And, and so they, they called, and they're like, where, where do you need me? And I was like, I need you at Freedom Fire. And they go, you know, I just need to stay somewhere down here in Johnson County. And I was like, I thought you just said you would go anywhere you wanted me to. And so uh, there's a real thing, like going north of 119th. Like, is it uncomfortable for you? Let's get back to the scriptures. Okay, get back. First Kings chapter 17, verse 10. And so he arose. See, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, says, go, go to Zarephath, get over in that city. And Elijah obeys, man, he, he obeys. This is what I love about him is, is you know what, he says, okay, you know what, you just provided for me with ravens. You literally had a bird fly me in a steak and some bread, and you have a nice little clean stream of mountain spring water for me, so maybe you can provide for me through a widow. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, remember, he's a man on the run, and God's saying, go into the city. So he was probably a little bit tentative as well. And indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He didn't even have to go in the city. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And if you're married or you've got a significant other, this, uh, you're, you're familiar with this story because as she gets up to go get him some water, verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, hey, please make me a sandwich. Please bring me a morsel of bread is what it actually says in your hand. You guys know that story. You know, usually it's about bedtime. You sort of got that midnight snack hunger, and you're like, hey, could you give me some water? I'm laying down. And Oh, oh, you're up. Please go get me something, anything. It doesn't matter, a snack, a sandwich. It doesn't matter. Just bring it to me. And this is, this is so hilarious, I think, what, what happens, this interaction right here. Verse 12. So, so she said... As the Lord your God, not my God, she says your, notice that word, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar and see, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You think there's some sarcasm here? I think there's some sarcasm. Justin Raby translation says, Elijah, you have to be out of your mind. I'm not making you any cake at all. And then listen to what Elijah's response is. This is so amazing. This is what makes scripture like so real to me sometimes, right, right here. It says, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. <laughs> like you're, you're not going to die. Don't fear. Do not fear. And do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards, afterwards make some for yourself and your son. See, I think she was responding out of sarcasm, but I think he was responding out of this place of security. This place of security that said, you know what, God did. God did feed me from ravens. And you know what, God's going to provide for me through a widow that the world looks at is desolate. 
and has nothing to give. And so he's rolling in like, you know what, God's going to take care of us. God's going to take care of us, and you know what, I'm going to trust his promises. And then it says, verse 14, says, then he, he, this is what he proclaims, Elijah says, For thus says the Lord, verse 14, God of Israel, the bin of the flower shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. See, he's calling her to trust God. God with him. It's not like a solo sport. They're doing this together. Verse 15. This is so beautiful. I love to see obedience. I love to see it. Because sometimes it's just like, ah, oh, okay, let's do this thing. Verse 15. It says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. No back and forth there. She just does it. And she and he and her household ate for many days. He actually took care of her. Elijah took care of her with God's help. And she was crazy enough to do it. She was actually crazy enough to do it. And then the fulfillment of the promise, this is the bin of the flour was not used up, nor did the jar of the oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Listen, when you trust God's promises, sometimes you just have to be crazy enough to say, I'm going to take the first step. I'm just going to be crazy enough to obey. I think of the times that we've tried to be crazy enough to obey, and we, we moved from the U.S. to a different country, and we were, we were pretty crazy to, to do that. And I, I remember we were coming back. We took the step, and we, we went and lived there because we wanted to share Jesus with people. There, weren't, there were only 600 followers of Jesus that we knew in a city of 600,000, and we wanted, to, we wanted to be crazy enough to obey God. And then through a series of events, we have to come home. And I remember we had, uh, my wife will correct me, but I'm pretty sure we had $138.42 in our bank account. And it was the first of the month. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I can tell you this. We can't sustain life for $138.42. And we were on a plane. We were literally leaving where we lived. We got on a plane in London, and we were flying over back to Dallas, and we had never met a Christian the whole time, never met a follower of Jesus the whole time that we're in this other country, and then we sit down in our seats, and homegirl right here is a missionary to Scotland, and my wife is sitting by a missionary to, to, to England as well, and then there's this whole group of people, and they all have these same colored dorky shirts on that says mission trip, you know. <laughs> mission trip, and we're, they were in Uganda for the last 10 days, and listen, uh, uh, we do that also. Grace Church, we, 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 we wear the dorky shirts as well sometimes when we, we send people on trips, and unless they're in a really sensitive country, and so there was like 13 of them over here. We hadn't met a Christian, and then the guy leading the trip, he had been a, a missionary in Morocco, and, and so we had talked a little bit. We didn't tell him about our situation, but we all get up, stand up on the plane, and he goes, man... You, you guys, your family, you just did awesome. My son Silas was seven months old at the time, and they, he goes, your, your kids just did, did awesome. He said, I talked to some of the team, and we just want to bless you. And then, uh, so he handed a wad of paper to my wife, and it was green paper. 
green paper. And when you got $138.42 in your bank account, you want to go one, two, three. But we didn't do that because that's not socially acceptable. So she stuck it in your back pocket and she said, thank you so much. We hop on another plane. We get to our destination. She pulls out the money and the guy gave us $1,000 on the airplane. And so we just took that one step to try to do what God wanted us to do. And then he showed up. His provision showed up. On the way before we left, before we, we actually left, we, we wanted to do something a bit radical. And so I, uh, it doesn't even seem radical. We, we wrote down handwritten letters to a bunch of celebrity Christian pastors because we were like, we've got to raise support, right? We've got to raise financial support so we can go share the gospel in a different country. And uh, so people can come to faith and like we can plant a church and they can start following Jesus. And so I, I sent this letter out, and I remember uh, I wrote it on our kitchen table, but it wasn't a kitchen table because we sold our kitchen table. We were sitting on the floor in our kitchen, no chairs, because we, we sold them to go to Spain, and we were trying to get that last bit of support. And so we were sitting on this little two-foot-by-two-foot like Lego table. And I'm writing this letter saying, hey, we're trying to risk everything to go and preach Christ where he has not been named. And so I sent it to this guy named Francis Chan. And some other guys. I don't know if you know Francis Chan, but uh, Francis Chan is basically, uh, James Adams is the, the Haitian Francis Chan. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you look at him, he, he talks like him, acts like him, everything. So you guys give him a hard time about that. But So Francis, uh, his, his uh, admin emailed me and said, hey, uh, Francis was moved by your letter and he wants to send a donation. Send us your tax ID number. I was like, what's a tax ID number? I didn't know what a tax ID number was at that time, so I found it, sent it to him, and he sent a donation to pay for our plane tickets to, to actually like, make it to Spain. Francis, I, I know you're watching because I'm sort of a big deal right now. <laughs> I just want to thank you publicly for, for that. But, but he, he, here's the deal. I'm not bragging. Look what we did. I'm saying, look what God did. And we took the first step. We, we risked it in a very small step. And he provided in such great, great ways. You know, radical faith trusts God's promises. It's really normal faith. Here's, the, he, here's the, the, the truth of the matter is, even when God provides in these amazing stories, and maybe they're ordinary stories, and he still provides, bad things still happen. Bad things still happen. There's a radical turn of events, a huge turn in the story is about to happen. You look at verse 7. It says, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house, became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What have I do to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Verse 19, and it says, and he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on the bed. See, this is, what, what is, this is a reminder that we're not in control, that bad things still happen in the midst of, of trusting God, but, but how often are we like that widow? 
How often are we like that widow that, you know, God provides, he does these amazing things, and then a crisis shows up and we go, I forgot what you did, God, like, forget it. Where, where are you? Where are you in this completely hard crisis? And we forget everything that he's done for us. And even Elijah, even Elijah is forgotten in this midst of crisis because the next thing we see is verse 20. It says, then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I'm lodged by killing her son? In verse 21, it says, and he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord, oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. You know what, sometimes following God doesn't feel good, it doesn't make sense, it's hard, and then we like curse him and we push him away, but here's the truth, and if you're taking notes, write this down, radical faith causes us to stop and pray. It sure doesn't feel like, you ever feel like when you're praying to God, there's just like this cinder block wall, and he's not hearing you, you're not feeling him, he's not even connected, he's not even near, you ever feel that way? See, it doesn't matter because sometimes we just have to say, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to pray because I don't know what else to do. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He said, I don't know what else to do. So God, are you, are you like, what are you doing? Are you killing that son after providing for us? Are you doing this? In verse 22, this is what happens when he stops and prays for just a second. It says, then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. See, when we stop and pray, the Lord actually hears us, whether we feel it or not. Verse 23, it says, and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Did you, did you catch that word, upper room? You know the last time we see somebody talking about a resurrection and somebody coming back to life in an upper room? Do you know when that is? Jesus. It's Jesus. See, without the resurrection, without him raising from the dead, that meal that was provided actually means nothing. Verse 24, it says, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this, now by this, I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This, see, this statement seems like a ridiculous statement to me. It seems like a completely ridiculous statement. If I was Elijah here, I would probably say, oh, hold on a second. I just provided you out of a mason jar for two years, and now you're telling me that now I'm a man of God, and now you believe the Lord? But, but not Elijah. Not Elijah. Elijah cries out, listen, your son lives 
Listen, your son lives so you can provide for others. And so we, remember, we're, we're just like Elijah, Elijah, so we can be men and women of God in moments that are hard. See, Elijah was connected to the God that resurrects. Elijah was connected to, to him, like the one true God. And that's why you and I are connected with the God that can resurrect. And that is, here's here's. Let me just tell you the incredible story of this right here is a resurrected son gives a woman life. And just like you and I, a resurrected son, the resurrected son of God, the one true only son of God that came down to this earth that died and was beaten and was literally hanging on a cross. Can you imagine what the father felt that day when he was hanging on a cross? Like when he was beat and bruised, and whipped, and where it says his flesh was like ribbons hanging off of him, and it says that he looked down, and he could see his bones, and that they stared back up at him. You think about that dark day before hope, and then he gets buried in a grave, and he's got 12 disciples that don't believe a word that he said previously, and then he resurrects y'all. Like he resurrects from the dead, and that life, that resurrection is hope. See, that resurrection of the son speaks of the, of the Jesus and the future that's going to resurrect from the dead. See, the resurrection gives us the ability to obey verses like this. James chapter 1, verse 27. This is pure or clean, unsoiled, and undefiled religion. Or religion right there means external worship. So external worship, true, pure, undefiled, external worship before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Listen, this is hard. Caring for widows, caring for orphans is so difficult. You know, we can drive down to Freedom Fire, Mission Southside. We can drive down to, or come here for Church Under the Bridge, go all over the city. But here's the, 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 the really comfortable part is we get back in our cars and we shut the door and then we drive down here to leave it to Beaverland where everything is just amazing and, and seems like it all works on the facade on the outside. But see, you can't get away from orphans because they live in your home you can't get away from widows because typically they live in your home. Maybe it's not widows and orphans, but, but what we do, uh, there was a psychoanalyst uh, um, that said we live by something called the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle is uh, I'm going to do whatever makes me feel good. I'm going to do whatever makes me look good, and I'm going to do anything possible to avoid pain. I'm going to do it. I'm going to avoid it because uh, here's the truth is that we, we have to have selfless love. We have to be selfless to take care of widows and orphans and to do some of these things that God is asking us to do. And it transcends this thing called the pleasure principle. It transcends it because worshiping the one true God sometimes doesn't always feel great. You remember that video of the Kingslands? You need to ask them, you know, you know, I'm sure they would say that foster care and adoption is just like riding a unicorn, throwing rainbows at their backpacks. I'm sure it just felt so good. It's hard. It is so hard. 
You know, there's this guy from the 11th century. His name was Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a monk. Uh, I think he was in France. And he, he wrote a book called On Loving God. And he gives us these stages of loving God. And the first stage is selfish love, right? It's the love that just feels good. I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to do it for me, number one. It's only for me. And then this, this one is still, there's, there's a good point to it, but it's like love of God for self. I'm going to love God because of what he gives me. Guess what? He gives me some peace. He gives me Jesus. He gives me resurrection. He's going to help me avoid hell. Like, that's great. But then there's these other two that, that there's something that is just different about these. This is where you actually love God for God, where you actually love him just because of who he is, because he's self-sufficient, because he should be glorified, because he's amazing, because not because he created me, but just because he is majestic and worshipful and incredible, and just because he is God, like he is He's Lord, he is Jesus, he's the, the Holy Spirit, and he deserves worship, and I'm just going to love him because of who he is. There's a difference between two and three. And then you get to this next one, love of self for God. And that one seems a little counterintuitive, but that's what we, we do when we say, you know what, I'm going to do what Jesus asked me to do, and I know it probably is not going to feel good. Maybe it is driving north of 119th. Maybe it is bringing kids in your home. They're going to kick your 20-inch TV. You're going to bring them in, and you're going to love them. Do you guys remember the, the name of the city that Elijah went to? It's in verse 9. It says, arise, go to Zarephath. You know what Zarephath means? Refinery. You know what they do with gold? They put, they put it in this bucket, in this clay pot, and they heat it up until it's literally liquid. And all the impurities, all the junk, all the nastiness raises to the top, and they scrape off what is called dross. That's the same thing sometimes in that fourth level of love when we say, you know what, I'm going to love even though it doesn't feel good, but it is good. This is normal faith. This is normal faith. You know, God, I'm not, I'm not asking you to adopt or bring in a widow or orphan, but I am asking you to do something. You guys remember that 1990s dorky bracelet that said WWJD? You guys remember that? You know, who's got one on? Anybody? Any old school folks in the house? Oh, come on. Give that brother a hand. WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I recently heard this guy say, man, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud. I'm glad you got that on. I'm glad somebody's got it on. But, but, but I recently heard WWJDIHWM, and I was like, what the heck is that? I don't know what that means. But, but he, here's, here's maybe a more accurate question to that bracelet. You know, the cool people would wear them on their ankles, you know, like, hey, Jesus would definitely wear it on his ankle for sure, right? Is yours on your ankle? You still, got, you, got, you still got some growing to do, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got some, anyway, W-W-I-H-W-M, uh, what would Jesus do if he was me? I don't know if you didn't know this, but you're not a first century Jew that lives in Palestine. You're a 21st century person that lives in Johnson County or somewhere close to it. 
And so the question for us is, what would Jesus do if he was me? So what is it? What is it? And then we can go from being hearers of the word on Sundays to doers of the word on Mondays. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that we would not be a church that just is hearers only, but we would be doers of the word and we would do it so passionately and that we would obey like the widow, that we would obey like Elijah and we would be sold out to having a mission that we would be sold out in doing what you ask us to do. God, just keep moving among us. Keep having us obey you. And, and Father, I pray that we would be doers of the word tomorrow and even today at lunch.